Welcome to Chuck and Anthony. We don't have a we don't have a one for it's, this. It's good. In the premiere prestige limited edition format podcast, all about I guess the Twilight Zone now. Yeah, that's. I think we're just that. That's. Just I think who we we're just now. a Twilight Zone podcast now. Fine, uh, I'm fine. fine with it. Uh, yeah. You should know. Hey, I know it's been a few weeks since you've heard from us. It will be Hello. another few weeks after this until you we're, hear from us again. We're sorry. We are sorry, but we're also mysterious jet setters. So we're just every. We're global. We're now. We're worldwide. We're like we're t- Pitbull. We're the Pitbull of yeah. podcasting. Yeah, we're t- we're taking this brand everywhere. Really. Uh, everywhere except. To the recording booth where you make yeah. the podcast to build the brand. That's yeah, honestly, where we podcast, draw the line. The podcast is <laughs> inferior to our uh, luxury and our, our jet setter, our I- influencer lifestyle, I think I can I say. I would say an influencer lifestyle. And, yeah. and that's actually dovetailing nicely with this first episode of The Twilight Zone because a lot of it reminded me of the influencer lifestyle. Interesting. Um, yeah. And of course, obviously- the comedy lifestyle and a lot of things that I've seen as people have been coming up and trying to make creative careers and uh, trying to decide, quote unquote, their brand. Yeah, I, I totally feel that as a writer and a person who is unfortunately online a lot into the hell realm that is something like Twitter. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so let's, first of all, let's say this. I am, I don't think there's a better television series in the history of time than the original Twilight Zone. Still, fair, to this day. Fair, legit, yeah, legit. Uh, I'm not saying that as a declarative statement that you that everyone must agree with, but I'm saying nothing has ever beaten the Twilight Zone for me. Yeah, also it's objective and anybody who disagrees with you is incorrect. Yeah, obviously. obviously. That's the unspoken, uh, the unspoken right, yeah. subtext. The spoken subtext, which I do not believe is that this is just a statement that you shouldn't argue with because just it's- Just an opinion. Because it's just an opinion. But secretly, deep in my heart- Yeah. I know that empirically, The Twilight Zone is the best television the best, series ever The very ever best. And those people will be proven wrong and put into pits. Just pits, oubliettes. Um, and so this team that's bringing back The Twilight Zone- It's a good team. It's a great team. Obviously, you know, you've got Jordan Peele, you've got Simon Kinberg. Simon Kinberg is on such a fucking roll- yeah. Over these last few years, you've got a, an amazing production team behind it. Um, this first episode that they released has for an, free. A, for free because, hey, CBS All Access, baby. Yeah, apparently um, people subscribe to that. Has a great cast. Um, every has a great director. Uh, yeah. Owen Harris has directed some of the uh, some of my favorite episodes of Black Mirror. Um, he's directed episodes of Misfits. Um, which was one of my favorite series a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, he's very good. He's a very good. Everything about this is lined up perfectly. Um, this is a weird first episode to launch with. It is a with. weird first episode. I was actually, I'm not sure why this was the one they launched with. I feel as though, I don't know. I was watching it and I was trying to think to myself, why Why was this the one? Yeah. Um, and And I feel like, well, you, when you're doing something that's going to release online, this is a particularly good sort of cast for online. Kumail's, Kumail's Kumail, got a lot, yeah. of, a lot of presence and a lot of pull online and with a, with sure. a younger audience and with more of like a kind of a YouTube and a, and a, and a VOD audience. Yeah. Um, it's I also- they were led with the Adam Scott episode. That's what I would have thought. Because he, yeah. Adam Scott, he's got the Parks and Rec, still, still got the fever for the he's Parks got, and Rec. He's got the know? Parks and Rec thing. He's got it's, a little a good place, a little vibe to him. It's also clearly, um, 
it's not going to be the William Shatner slash no. John Lithgow episode, but- But obviously referential to it. Everything, including the title, yeah. is meant to make you think it's a remake of that right. episode. And that's a class, I would think that would be your your hook. That would but be the way, the plate you put it on. But I have a maybe feeling, that's so good, you, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I have a feeling they're using that one like as bait a little bit. Yeah, they're like, ooh, yeah. you like that? Come on in for this. Yeah. But this is interesting because when you look at the first episode of the original Twilight Zone, which is, uh, where is everybody? Where is everybody is quintessentially Twilight Zone. <laughs> it, yeah. it is everything a Twilight Zone episode needs to be. You are a little confused. A little confused. You, you don't know whether you're in the real world or a different world. It plays- adjacent, maybe adjacent. Yeah, yeah it plays sense. into a very specific but relatable fear that everyone has, which is the fear yep. of being alone. Yep. Um, all of that. And then it has- Unfortunately, another hallmark of the Twilight Zone, kind of a throwaway pulp sci-fi ending to it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually, usually, yeah, they just dunk that right at the end. Um, yeah. And it was it was just very impactful. But I, I think one of the things that we have to do if we're jumping in and we're becoming a Twilight Zone podcast for the next few weeks, the Twilight Zone was such a groundbreaking thing. Yeah. You can't, by definition, some, once ground is broken, it cannot be broken again. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? True. Yeah, yeah. Even Black this Mirror. This is a well-worn, it's a well-worn path. Yeah, even Black Mirror, which is doing fun, interesting new takes on it. It's still the Twilight Zone. It's still the Twilight Zone. Tales and, from the Dark Side, still the Twilight Zone. Yeah, still the Twilight Zone. And, you know, when the Twilight Zone first came out, the reason it was, it grabbed the entire, uh, it grabbed the entire world by storm uh, is basically like, these are stories that had only been told in pulp novels and radio dramas. Right. Um, that were now becoming, and remember when CBS Suspense was in its later seasons and Rod Serling was working on on those radio dramas, um, TV was already in full swing. Yeah. Like genre stuff, genre radio dramas were not like the hugest pull at that point. So like even this kind of sci-fi thing that like Rod Serling was doing was not necessarily like pop culture media, right? No, 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 really wasn't. And obviously part of the goal, as I understand it, was to tell political stories that he wasn't able to really tell yes. in other more direct avenues. So the idea was you take something like, uh, where is everybody? And I believe the follow-up episode was the monsters are coming to Mayberry. Oh, that or, makes sense. Yeah, or or may, the monsters are coming to Maple Street. Sorry. Yeah. Or the monsters are due on Maple Street. Sorry. Right. That's third time. <laughs> Uh, How dare you? How dare you? But this is all about like, hey, this first one, like it, you know, where is everybody ends? And if we find out it's an astronaut who was uh, in an isolation chamber and they were testing yep. him, right? right. Um, the second of the monsters are due on Maple Street is about sort of uh, communism and othering in yeah, the othering in, definitely in Hollywood and society in the fifties, right? So. Yeah. He wasn't allowed to get those things past the censors unless he packaged them up into sci-fi. Um, later episodes, you know, he kind of ran out of those things. And, you know, you play a little bit more on emotional things, and then you play a little bit more on personal things. And then you and that's play okay. I mean, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that works. You can't you, always be like a— By the end, you're playing a little bit on just silliness. But the the, the point is, you can only be subversive and groundbreaking in that way once. Right. So we cannot— by definition, judge this Twilight Zone against that Twilight Zone one-to-one. -one. 
Right. Everything else is reiterative of it. Yeah. So how do you- yeah. We cannot. Uh, and I mean, look, they've tried to do this twice before. They did the 1986 series on CBS. They did the 2002 series on UPN. Uh, they oh, obviously- Was there a- Oh my God, I didn't even think I realized Yeah, it was, it was Forrest yeah. Whitaker actually was hosting and that was pretty oh, cool. all right. All right. Um, but then- you know, and then there there was, of course, the the big anthology movie, which remade some classic episodes. And so, the yeah. Twilight Zone—they've been trying to bring it back and to to varying successes throughout the years. I Did will you see say, why Peel brought it back. What his kind of impetus for bringing it back was? I think I, I haven't read anything specific, but I think it was just like Jordan Peel is a guy who tells uh, socio political stories through horror and is yeah. is super amazed by that simon kinberg right, but, obviously but, if you but look apparently at, it was like he literally it was inspired by our current era of fuckery yeah and uh he said enough people were coming up to him and saying what well, feels like we're living in the twilight zone and he's like well that's a sign <laughs> that now yeah. it's, now is the time to bring this back because we're all walking around feeling like that and that's an interesting thing because on the one hand that does actually feel like a very good time to remake this show because we're mm -hmm. all living in this news cycle that is so bizarre and impossible like i i read sometimes read the news today and i'm like we are fucking in a simulation and this shit is breaking down the the, the weasel that snuck into the hadron collider yeah fucked it all up and now this is where we are on the other hand is it like you're like is it too on the is it too on the nose yeah are we well, like is it is it easy to tell a twilight zone story when everything feels like the twilight zone and that's actually an increased level of difficulty i think for any artist and writer trying to tell stories right now is because reality is so much more absurd than fiction yeah. It's uh, hard to tell stories. And we are seeing, like, it's interesting because we are seeing this rise in, um, like, you don't see, like, weird, dummy, slapstick comedies as much anymore right now. No, like, you no, don't see, true. there's very specific genres that are coming, because people, some people are like, read the room. You know what yeah. I mean? Everybody's read walking around going, read the fucking room. Yeah, we're not in the mood for it now. We're not God in the mood it. for this shit right now. We're not in the mood for, like, teenagers in a cabin getting stabbed. We want horror yeah. that makes us feel spooky scary about where we live right now. Yeah, it's um, like anytime that's, you hear like a news story that talks about like, we may be visited by aliens now. And it's like, read the room, aliens. Read the we room, don't want yeah. you. We're busy. We're fucking busy. We Stop. literally don't care about that right now. Don't care about it. Aliens fuck off for a while. Uh, um, so yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting because like you look at, you look at Black Mirror and Black Mirror clearly caught what was up a few years ago, which was like, hey, we're not in as weird a socio-political space right now, but well, we are- Technologically. Yeah, yeah, we are in a weird technological space. And, and Charlie Brooker was literally the only person who could create that show. And it was the perfect time for that show. It was, it was. And sort of like, you look at Black Mirror now four seasons on and you go, this is great, but like technology isn't my biggest fear anymore. Yeah. And so the return of the Twilight Zone makes a lot of sense because it's like, now I want to talk about what it's like to be a person- irrespective of technology. Right. Technology can be there, but there are big there are big things that I'm thinking, there are big anxieties that I have, big questions that I have. Yeah, and we'll get back to technology when we're safe yeah, again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like let's we'll 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 put a pin in that. I'm still yeah. spooked, but let's get yeah. on, let's get on to bigger better. Uh it should be noted this series was in development for gosh uh, almost 10 years, 15 years. Wow, um, okay. When the initial announcement of CBS digital stuff was coming out before we knew there was a platform to it and we started hearing things about the new Star Trek is going to be digital, the new this is going to be digital. Uh, yeah. One of the things was a Twilight Zone. And originally, this Twilight Zone, before digital became such a focus for CBS, 
uh, was going to be uh, produced, directed, written by Ken Levine of Bioshock fame. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. That was going to be, it was going to be his show. Um, and then I think digital, the digital platform became a much more traditional TV thing. Yeah. And they moved to uh, a different creative team. But I thought that was really wild. When I heard that it was, that it was definitely coming back and now it was Jordan Peele and Simon Kinberg and this team, I was like, this feels that, a lot better feels to me. Right. That feels right. Yeah. yeah. For a low, for sort of a low budge experimental Twilight Zone, I think Ken Levine would have been interesting, but- uh, Yeah, but also like, I don't know that I've seen enough from Ken Levine to know that I trust that yet. Yeah, yeah. But so we have this Twilight Zone and the yeah. first episode, which they put out uh, totally free, Go, you can go watch it on YouTube. The it, Comedian. The Comedian with, uh, with Kamel Nanjiani uh, and Tracy Morgan- yeah, uh, Tracy Morgan is good in this. Written by Alex Rubin, who uh, who wrote a lot of Key and Peele episodes and also wrote- which, which, by the way, tracks because anybody who hasn't, who doesn't believe that Jordan Peele would have made this jump to horror and Twilight Zone type stuff has never watched Key and Peele. Because yeah. Key and Peele, man, it's funny and it's great and it's absurd, but like some of their sketches are that kids in the Holly type of- Unsettling. Funny, but very unsettling stuff. And they're making some hard points in some horror contexts. Do you remember the weird, funny. the weird uh sketch where Urkel comes back to like stalk Reginald Val Johnson? No. And no. it was like done as like a dark, like creepy Cape Fearish horror movie. Oh god, I didn't see that. That's good. Yeah, Key and Peel has some dark stuff. And and like this is I think this is another interesting another interesting sort of reason why maybe this episode was made. Maybe this was the first one that was put out is like all comedians. And I know this is a, a broad generalization, but all comedians <laughs> like kind of come from a place of, of sort of it's either anxiety or fear yeah. or anger. They're filling the hole in themselves with jokes. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, it's not, that's not always true, but a lot of the comedians I know. And if you, if you run with a lot of comedy people, you know that like they're basically just getting up on stage and trying to work their shit out in a way that helps other people work yeah. their shit out. Yeah, it's a self-defense mechanism and it helps other people argue yeah. too. Yeah, and so the idea that like you can dip right into horror from that is not is not weird to me at all. No, uh, no, you listen to like some, some comedians, like even someone like Bill Hicks from way back when, some of his stuff gets so particularly dark while still being funny at the same time. Yeah, and even you know, horror movies, like, yeah, we talk a lot about how the best thing you can do in a horror movie after a really scary bit or even a horror story after a really scary bit is have a funny bit. Yeah. Or have the horror be funny so you're actually kind of creeped at the fact that you find the horror enjoyable. Like, yeah. there's a lot of that. So a comedian yeah. jumping to horror makes a yeah, lot of sense and, and, to me. And humor and horror come from a, a, a similar wellspring of like, I want to shock you with a thing that is outside the status quo, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a jump scare or something more disturbing. Um, and that, it doesn't take much tweaking to turn that into either funny or terrifying. Like sometimes you'll do that. You'll be telling a joke or writing a story and you're like, oh, this just went either, it was supposed to be scary and it turned goofy. Yeah. Or it was supposed to be kind of funny and you're like, oh, I just created an implication that was terrifying and I didn't, I didn't mean to. Yeah, it's like, here we are. if you ever explain a nightmare to somebody the next day, you're like, that's actually the dumbest, silliest thing. It's dumb thing. as shit. Yeah. Clowns, man. Clowns, yeah. like we should not, we shouldn't be scared of clowns, but we should. But we should we and we are should. and we will continue you're, to be. 
Do you remember the clowns before 2016, by the way? The horror clowns who appeared in the woods outside oh, yeah. schools and it shit? Oh, yeah. It was like in North they Carolina. Just fucking, they're just fucking gone now. They were warning us of some things, man. Yeah, I like to feel that like the clowns were, were there yeah. And then they all kind of like, maybe it's a killer clowns thing. Maybe it's an it thing, but they're gone yeah. for another hundred years. Okay, that's good. Um, so let's talk about the comedian. Let's jump into this. Yeah. Never have I seen a story that was more clearly built <laughs> from the tag backwards <laughs> yeah. than this story. Yeah, it's premise. I've always, premise. I've always thought that it was weird that like comedians end with, I've been as though they will not be that again. You know, like yeah. you see a comedian, like at the end of this episode, I've been Samir Wasan, and it's like, who will you be later? Yeah, I know. <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> what, Are you all right? Is, is this the ending of your being? And so obviously, yes, that's what this episode yep, is about. That's what this episode is, spoiler warning. Um, so... <sighs> so all right. I mean, just like upfront, right? Upfront, yeah. Upfront. How did you feel uh, about this app? Upfront, like I really love the core idea, mm. which is I give art to the world. And it's like, there's a couple things going on. Number one, I, if I write a book or I give my whatever quote unquote art to be all lofty about it to the world, it no longer belongs to me. It's theirs to have that. I like that idea. Uh, on the other hand, also you can give maybe too much of yourself to an audience. And you know, that can be either damaging to you personally or, you know, it's just sort of emotionally a troublesome place. So I, I really like the core concepts of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Um, and that's that's what I was talking about when I was talking about the um, that sort of influencer online brand sort of life. Yes. That really rings true to me uh, is just like there are a lot of people now who are sort of famous for being famous or famous yep. for their lives being so crazy, right? Like that's yes, a big thing right. now is like, especially with like a lot of YouTubers or, or Twitch streamers or just uh, Instagram influencers, people who are kind of big online. My life is so crazy. And here's a whack, here's like this fucking insane story of what really happened to me on this crazy night, right? right. And they build their brand off of that. And um, the spooky thing about that is like, there's, there's not really anything to that other than personal experience. And right. what happens is these people wind up running out of personal experiences and either trying to like keep up some sort of crazy life to create new stories, which is ultimately detrimental to mm, them. Logan Paul. Logan Paul, right? Like a lot of these people or like they just, they burn out and they feel yeah. like, they feel like there's nothing personal of their own left. No, and they're not. They're just grist. Yeah. Mill. That's all that they are. Um, and I, this also, t this also speaks a lot to me. Um, so in the beginning we see Samir, doing yep. his doing his bit about the second amendment and a failed unfunny bit a failed un it's not a funny bit what samir has is he has the first draft of a joke that goes in your apple notes <laughs> yeah he has a yeah. funny observation the and he hasn't made it of a joke yeah he hasn't made it into a joke yet he doesn't know where the joke is but it's almost there right Yep. Um, that's two weeks of workshopping away from being funny, but he by, thinks it's by the, the way. Bit. I love that. The one thing that's interesting about the show too, is he's obviously working in this sort of phantasmagoric idea of a comedy club. Right. Not like the part of me almost wanted to see the, the shitty, you know, brick wall, just the fucking, oh, you're right up on the audience. Comedy yeah. club, that really claustrophobic though. I also like that. He's sort of this isolated person on this distant stage full of people not paying attention. Yeah. We get this, this idea. Regal grand theater. He's, no he's somehow good enough to be like at a, at a comedy store or Caroline's level yeah. on yeah. a weeknight, 
but we haven't seen anything from him that makes us like understand why. A lot of right. my a lot of my issues with this come from with this episode come from really annoying nitpicky things about comedy. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't get it gets art and performance more than it gets comedy. Yeah, does that make any sense? Yes, yeah. it does. Um, so Samir tells this terrible joke, which is more of an observation. And uh, what I love is he comes off stage and he's talking to some of the more successful comedians and he has this initial line that I really love where he's like, I'm not going to do jokes about cats versus dogs or New York versus LA. Yeah. And that's a really familiar thing to, to anybody who's known people who are trying to sort of like come up and haven't built, haven't gotten rid of the defensive ego portion yet. Sure, sure. Because Samir is operating from this beginning artist, beginning performer place of, my stuff is just too smart. I'm better than that. I'm I'm better than that. I'm not going to do this dumb shit that just gets laughs. And it's like, that's like- that's like a plumber saying, I'm not going to just like connect all these pipes so water comes out. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, yeah, like I do it my way. Yeah. Not your way. I I'm do things a, a little differently here. Yeah. yeah, it's not about laughs here at the old laugh factory. No, so I'm going to make you think and then you're going to laugh. It's like, no, you're not doing that. You're, no. you're bad at your job. Right. But there right, is right, a defensiveness right. that we need to see because like clearly this dude is full of himself. Clearly this dude doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and we need to know that for the next bit that happens. Yeah, it's important that we see him being lofty and high-minded and not yeah. being willing to, you know, because obviously he's being, in a fair way to comedy and art, he's not looking inward and he's not talking, he's not being mm-hmm. earnest and authentic and honest. Uh, and that's a problem. For that's him. the other thing is like this, this moral sort of gets a little muddy for me. Yeah. It's not as it's not as crystal clear as some other classic Twilight Zone morals or or points that Twilight Zone episodes are trying to make. Sure. Because in the beginning, it's true. Samir is not doing anything. He's not putting himself into his art. No. Uh right. to any to any point. Uh to any uh, any this is where like we meet the 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 kind of shitty drunk comedian that uh like created like apparently committed a vehicular manslaughter <laughs> literally outside the club. Like right outside <laughs> the even- club. Yeah, I mean, like the visual uh, plot acuity of that is almost too pure. Yeah, like, you know, he did, he literally killed a kid like right there, and it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's fine. We had him back next week because he's funny, and it's like yes and no. I see what you're yeah. saying, and no, it's, re- it's, it's, an, it's an it's an overreach to that the authenticity of that. Plot yeah, I don't that. know that we needed to go so far as to the fact where this is a guy that murdered a kid. Um, right there, I think like. I would have been just as fine seeing more of his shitty behavior towards other people. Yeah, toward women, toward whatever. And he got drunk and hit the bus, but didn't kill a bunch of people. I don't yeah, know. yeah, I, yeah. I could have seen more of that guy just being an asshole. So like when what happens later happens, I get what Samir is doing. Um, yeah. But it's a que- if, when that happens later, it would be more of a questionable act. Because now you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, now, Good. but they needed it to fuck be very cut and dry. They needed these initial right. ones to be very cut and dry. But um, so then we meet- uh, Tracy Morgan, yeah, clearly doing yeah. Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Dave Chappelle doing the devil. <laughs> doing the devil. Yep, Devil Chappelle. The old Devil Chappelle vaping up a storm. Yep. Um, and I love this because this is this is clearly a comedy writer and a comedy performer coming together and writing an episode about everything that's been on their mind about comedy. You know, yep. this idea of Dave Chappelle as this guy he. 
He got the fifty million dollar check and walked away. Right, that's he the Dave Chappelle away, sh- story. Fucked off, and now he's a he's a myth more than a person. Yeah, it's like every once in a while, Dave Chappelle shows up at a local club, and it's like, holy fuck, where did Dave Chappelle come yeah. from? I talked to him. Whoa, whoa, yeah. It's like uh, when I was living in Brooklyn in like two thousand six. It was Bill Murray stories. Everybody oh, had Bill a Bill Murray, Murray story. Yeah, everybody had. Now it's Jeff Goldblum, right? Isn't that kind of the, now it's a Jeff Goldblum Jeff thing? Goldblum yeah, yeah, story. yeah. Um, there's always the there's always the very famous person who appears out of nowhere. Um, yep. And this is good because this is where, um, this is where we're setting up. We're setting everything up, right? The mysterious yep. Twilight Zone figure comes to offer the deal. And Tracy Morgan plays this sinister as shit. He really like, does. He like I was like, you well, well done, sir. Well done. You've you had a hard row of it lately, and you are rocking it. Yeah. So. Um, this is where he gets the, he gets the advice. Uh, you got to put yourself into your art. They don't want your only export. You're a country with one export, and that export yeah, is God. you. So good, such a good. I mean, if if you hated everything else about this episode, that line is lovely. I I love it, and that is something that like I think everybody everybody who creates who creates stuff or performs or does it, you know, anybody who does anything like this is like always struggling with this. This is something that I always struggle with. Now, especially because it used to be in the old timey days, you just wrote your book or did your TV or movie and you just did your thing. You were in your house or in your work and you made it and put it out there and it wasn't yours, but you didn't interact with it in a meaningful way. But now everybody's online. Yeah. Everybody's connected. You are not really a person who writes a book unless you're also the author. People know who the author is yeah. and what their dogs look like and what their <laughs> kids look like. And you're just like, you can't just be like a mysterious figure anymore and be, I mean, you can be, be a successful author, but it's hard. It's a lot harder. Yeah. And there's also this thing where, like we're saying, you can't get up and do five minutes about airline peanuts or dating yeah. apps or whatever anymore. Like right now, like we're saying, everybody's walking around screaming, read the room, read the room. Yeah. Um, right now, people want people to be real and yeah. be forthcoming. And well, it's like L- Lane Moore's Tinder stuff is all about her Tinder experience. Yeah, live. It's not just like, isn't it wacky that? It's yeah. Like, no, this is this is heartbreaking, fascinating, bizarre. You know, sociological, right? Anthropological stuff. You can't tell a joke about the Second Amendment, but you could tell a joke. Like that's that's the thing that Samir is struggling with. You could tell a yeah. joke about your personal experience with guns. Yeah. You can do that. None of that. Right. Right. Um, and so that's sort of the advice. But of course, because it's the Twilight Zone, we're taking that advice to the extreme. I love that we actually get the foreshadowing of like, man, I will give you my dog. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I will give you my dog, yeah. dude. Yeah. And it's like whatever you need. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Because he is yeah. giving this dog. So um yeah. so yeah. Uh so he and then he kind of like, you know, he has that that sinister threat, which is like, are you, are you sure you really want this? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's one of my slight issues with it is it's hard to find the bridge between like, I I like the idea of like, you give so much to yourself and it's gone. It's not yours anymore. But I didn't quite find the through line between the, Oh, you just need to put yourself out there. And like, are you sure you really want this? Like everybody puts themselves. It's such a strange, I just needed a few more steps there to understand the promise of the premise on that. Well, especially since, um, Samir then goes up and he does he does a bit and he does a bit about the dog. Yeah, and the dog. to me it's like to me it's like a lot of this stuff is about 
as we go on, we see Samir talking about people that he knows, right? And and right. things that happened to other people and and stuff like like he's yeah. We're not getting what I what I sort of wish the episode had done, where it's like he needs to literally talk about memories, things that are important to him, things his, that are his, smear. His pain, his real, yeah. He's just talking about people in his life, peripheral things. Yeah, and it's he not- He can even name somebody. I met them and I can- And I also wanted some of his act to be, like the dog stuff was a little funny, but like as he goes on, and I get the point of it, that it doesn't so much matter, like the in terms of the supernatural component here that's happening- He's cursed. It doesn't even matter that it's funny. He's just saying a name of somebody and the audience is erupting in laughter. And that's spooky and weird and I like it. Yeah. However, it's also not funny at all anymore. Right. So, And I sort of like, for an episode about comedy, like I kind of want his pain to be funnier. And as his pain, almost that sense of like, as you're just gushing arterial emotional blood, people are really hungry for it. They're bathing in that stuff and it's pulling it out of you. Yeah. But it's mostly just like that. I'm making a name of a guy I knew once. Ha ha ha. Uh, we nailed you. And you're yeah. like, what is happening? I, I think when I think about this episode, when I think about an episode that's about writing comedy, um, I yeah. think about it sort of the same way I think about like um, sort of Hollywood, the Hollywood modern musical mashup sort of thing, right? Where it's okay. like, we're going to write, I'm going to write Moulin Rouge. Sure. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to do Moulin Rouge and I can try to write original songs for Moulin Rouge, or I can admit that a great musical takes years and years and years and yeah. Uh, a yeah. whole team of people. And I can bring in professional music yeah. that will create Moulin Rouge. Right. So when you're writing something yeah. about comedy, the feeling of it, yeah, yeah there are sure, certain absolutely. things you can do. You can, you can fake somebody being a great athlete on camera. You can fake somebody being a great shot. You can fake somebody being a great painter because somebody can do the painting off camera. Right, for, yeah, off camera, absolutely. Here's what's up. If you could sit down and you've got four weeks to write an episode of The Twilight Zone, yeah. and you've got to write within that episode of The Twilight Zone, literally the most hilarious tight five that's ever been written. <laughs> right. If you right. could do that, you would be selling out arenas. Yeah. Yep. And not necessarily writing this episode of The Twilight Zone. That's true. You've, That's true. You find like in a lot of, uh, even when comedians get sitcoms, some of the funniest stuff is stuff from that comedian's actual act. And then what happens is the comedian can't do that stuff in their act anymore. Right, it's gone. So like it's over. Mulaney, yeah. when, when John Mulaney made his show, a lot of the funnier stuff in that show was from his old stand-up albums. And then he just- A show that no one saw. Yeah. He couldn't perform <laughs> right. it anymore. Right, right. Because right. then it was a joke from the television show Mulaney. So yep. it's so there are two things happening here. Practically, you can't write the greatest comedy ever written. No. And no. number two, there is that supernatural thing um, that goes on where it's like it doesn't matter what he's saying because this is a pact with this supernatural force. Right. Um, right. 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 Um, and, and to uh, Kumail's uh, credit he makes even not funny stuff feel funny. Right. And that's why there's- he, The delivery is right on. There is some stuff in this episode where like you you had to have done it with somebody like Kumail who's like, this is not a great joke, but I understand the patter and the timing of this. I can deliver this like a funny joke. Right, right. Um, and there, there was something, there was a line in the episode that kind of explains away the fact that this stuff isn't funny and that it's fine. Yeah. Uh, right. And so it's, I was kind of okay fine. with that. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah, um, but I mean, just as a um, an episode about comedy, 
I I because uh, I just respect comedy so much that they're able to nail that. Yeah, and I just wanted it to be a little funnier. Well, and I think the, then it, then it's almost more fucked up when it's funnier. Yeah, and I think the other thing is like when you love a comedian, you walk out sort of quoting their bits for weeks. And the yeah. whole idea of this is the audience loves him, but they don't remember why. They don't remember why. Yeah. Because when he when he sort of retells the joke or says something to audience members outside of the theater that references the joke. They have no joke, memory of it. Yeah, Nothing. they just know that they think he's hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is- a <laughs> good one. Yeah, and yeah. I think this that's the thing. is like, This is a deal with the devil, cool out. It's this, okay yeah, that it's very, not funny. Very distinctly supernatural thing going on here. Um, there's nothing, like there's no- you know, there's some horror fiction, like I talk about the horror fiction of someone like Paul Tremblay, whose work is always what I call supernatural adjacent. Like you could read it that there's nothing supernatural happening, but also you could read it like there's the devil at work or there's an actual exorcism situation happening. Yeah. Uh, this is not that. This is definitely like, oh yeah, no, no, you made a deal and here you are and you're giving it all up. Good job. Yeah, so he goes home. He uh, he tells his girlfriend that uh, he killed. He did a great job. They loved him. Uh, I'm I'm so amped up. I I'm gonna go walk the dog. Where's the dog? What dog? Dun dun dun! Twilight yeah. Zone. Yeah. <laughs> you just got Twilight Zone, motherfucker. Son. You got zoned. <laughs> you got zoned. That's their catchphrase. Um. Yeah. So then you know he kind of he kind of starts figuring out what's going on, but not entirely. No, and that's actually when we get our introdu- introduction to Jordan Peele, right? Is that when he- Yeah, Jordan Peele, yeah. like, real late game intro from- Real late game intro, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. It's one of those things where it's interesting. At first, I was like, what are what are they doing? And then I was like, oh, it's cool that they're making me wait for this because I know that it's coming. You know that it's coming, right? Yeah. Because it's yeah. like, oh, you're actually creating some suspense- yeah, in period. me waiting, like, where's the fucking suit? Where's the yeah, you're monologue? For the simple, a simple mechanism of their standard narrative, and they hook you on it. Jordan Peele's nice. delivery is mm. very good. It's very good. Uh, it's, I, it took me, you know, obviously, obviously it's fucking tough, man, because you're up against Rod Serling, and it's such a thing that's yeah. burned into the pop culture brain. And he's doing a little Rod Serling. Like, you can hear he's... He's bringing just a piece, peppering some Serling in there. But he's doing it as like a tongue-in-cheek, this is what you expect. Yeah, right. And if you notice, he's doing the he's doing the Michael Caine. He's not blinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's being spooky. He's doing it like one of one of the uh there was a there was a sketch on Key and Peel that was called Black People Telepathy. Oh, yeah, that's a great sketch. Yeah, I just watched that the other night on YouTube. He's yeah. given a lot of like black people if black people telepathy looks were a Jordan Peel 10. He's given yeah. us like a four, right? <laughs> yeah, right. He's playing it the same way this series is playing it, which is like, it's a little funny, but isn't it unsettling that it's funny yeah. and that I'm being yeah, funny a lot about loaded it? Loaded in there, yeah. It's loaded. Because Rod Serling was very like, here comes some creepy stuff. Here comes some stuff that's going to make you think. And Jordan mm-hmm. Peele is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is funny, right? Or is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a little less cerebral. Yeah, it's a little more uh, like- and That's good, and I'm good for that, yeah. He's he's playing that. a little more like, hey, you asked for this. This is what you wanted. You're yeah, doing this to this guy. Up. Yeah, you're doing it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so as, as you know, as we go on here, we get uh, we get him understanding what's happening. Yep. Uh, he unfortunately makes his nephew disappear. Has a, yeah, whoops. Has a moment of conscience uh, and, and TJ Wheeler- reappears yeah the devil the devil reappears or sorry jc wheeler uh, jc jc yeah. wheeler the vape devil the vape devil man uh reappears is like hey man it's cool like you know there's not even like a uh 
There are two types. No there are two yeah. types of devil in the Twilight Zone. One is the one that's like, "Are you super sure? Last chance." I don't know. No, this one's like, "It's fine." Yeah, I'm your. I'm, he's pushing this. Yeah, he's pushing it. This is the one you wanted it. They never here existed. we go. You didn't kill anybody. Yeah, they just never happened. And so this is where this is a common Twilight Zone, thre zone thread where it's like, "Okay, I'm cursed, but I understand the rules of this curse, and I'm going to get around them." Yeah, and I'm, or exploit them. Yeah, I know how yeah. to make this curse actually work for me. I'm smarter than you, ha ha. Yeah, I'm smarter than you, genie. Fuck you. I don't have tricky to. Tricky wishes. When reality, the answer is stop. Yeah. In Twilight Zones, the character doesn't stop. And no, they think they can steer out of and it. And I yeah. saw a lot of people that said, hey, I saw the ending of this coming. Sure. Yeah. Sure, 100%. Sure. Um, Sometimes that's the point, though. Yeah. I, and I think that's the point here. I think so too. I think we we are now living in a uh, we are living in an era where the rules are no spoilers. What's the twist? Can you figure yeah. this out? Yeah. What and are it, the, um, what are the seven things you missed? Right. Yes. What is this thing? What does this thing mean? Were you the first person to notice this? And so we've been sort of trained now for that. Shyamalan and Lost and all that. Good yeah. Stuff. Yeah. But. Twilight Zones are like Greek tragedies, I think, in that you, of course you see the ending coming. We all see the ending coming. The character yes. sees the ending coming. Thinks he can not have that ending. Yeah. That's the trick. He thinks he doesn't see the, uh, he sees it and he's like, I can miss that. Yeah. I can duck that. Up until the very last moment, he thinks, I, I can do it. I can do this. Right. I can change it. I know the future. I can change it. Um, when there's a component too, like when you, you know, when you learn about writing, and uh, in particular writing mysteries, right? Murder mysteries. Even back to like an Agatha Christie thing, like there is always the idea that some of your audience is meant to guess who did it. Yes. Because it makes them feel smart. That's okay that they're guessing. It's also okay that some people can't. You don't have to fool literally 100% of the time because if you do that, then often what you end up doing is creating like, this guy you've never met is the murderer. You could have never figured it out, mm -hmm. dum-dums. Like, oh, uh, that's a cheat. You cheated. So- the inevitability of it can be baked into what you're telling. Yeah, and I think I think that's part of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone is like, nah, man, you're you did it. Yeah. You continued doing it. You did not stop doing it. And then exactly yeah. what we, you were told was going to happen happened. Yeah, um, gravity got you. So I think sorry. As we watch more of these episodes and as we get into this new Twilight Zone, I think it's important to remember that like it's not about guessing the ending. No. Let's put that sure, out of our surely mind. Surely some will be. I'm sure, sure they will in this. Because if they don't, they're probably just going to make people pissed constantly. Yeah, but like, let's remember that it's not, yeah. it's not about guessing the ending. It's about right. knowing the ending is coming and still feeling fulfilled by the emotional content of the episode. Yeah, there's a journey component to storytelling that's more important than the ending. And I think we've been trained by a lot of storytellers these days um, to sort of be compelled by clues by the quote-unquote mystery box of it by sure. the uh surprises what is the surprise did i get you did i get you boo uh and it, it just can't you first of all it's not sustainable no <laughs> you just can't constantly outguess everybody uh it's not that interesting after a while because then you're thriving on 
data points on plot things as opposed to the sort of the character richness of who this guy is and what he's doing on stage and how he thinks he can trick it and how he's kind of a nice guy, but is he really a nice guy? Mm-hmm. It's a more like at, at its core, all of these things are, are morality plays and the morality play is yep. like one of the oldest forms oldest. of entertainment. Uh, yep. and There's some fable folklore business going on in all of these. Because you're also supposed to feel like you're better than this person in the twilight zone. But, um, but also that maybe you would make the same decision in a moment yeah, of weakness. Are you yeah. Are you though? So we get the, after the nephew disappearing, um, we get uh, more and more people disappearing. And this is where, like, as you're talking about, the comedy becomes less comedy and more reading off a litany of people who have done wrong to make them disappear. <laughs> right. And I like, he tries to get the one neo-Nazi on the bus. Yeah. And that's like the rules don't work then. He's like, you don't know that guy well enough yet. Yeah. <laughs> that guy hasn't affected you personally. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I think like that made me think of, well, the neo-Nazi on the bus wasn't enough, but like, does it have something to do with an emotional connection? Like, yeah, the neo-Nazi on the bus wasn't enough, but maybe somebody who like spilled coffee all over you on the way to a really important appointment because it angered yeah. you so much. Could you make that yeah. person disappear uh, probably, probably. what he does to the hecklers later. Yeah. Right? That, those hecklers are impacting him personally. That neo-Nazi, for fucking how much we hate neo-Nazis, wasn't doing anything at that mm-hmm. particular moment. He's just sitting there like an asshole, like, oh, who's this guy? He was moving back uh, to the idea. And I love that he even makes a joke about, like, the president. And everybody's like, nope, can't make nope. the president disappear. Like, no. I love that Good he try. tries these little things. He's poking these little things. And then we also get- And it goes back to like his his sort of uh, his more intellectual comedy bits, right? Because he's obviously this high-minded guy who has concerns about the world and the Second Amendment and everything. And so he's, you can see him trying to like, well, what if I fish hook this back around to making the world a better place? And you're like, nope. No, no, no. Just your world. Just <laughs> yours. Um, so yeah, I, I really love that. And we, we get- from this, from the hecklers, from all this stuff, we start seeing him um, do what eventually a Twilight Zone character has to do, which is start taking advantage of the power. Yep. Um, and I love that the whole the whole way. I, I do want to mention a great performance by Dee Dee Scott in this, as as or oh, by so Diara Kilpatrick as Dee Dee Scott, yeah. um, as the comedian that's actually working hard to do this. And the funniest probably of the bunch in that room. Yeah, and as the person who's putting in the work and is like a little a little weirded out and wants to know why this is happening all of a sudden, but yeah. is also like, hey, anybody who gets up there and does the work deserves everything they get. Like she's playing yeah. by the rules. She is, and she's like, I'm just going to play by them harder than he Yeah, is. she's playing by the rules, yeah. and the rules say- other people's success is not your failure. If you're both there every night working, you right. have to give right. the other person their props. Like you have to, yep. yeah, um, you have to. And so it's nice to see her. Like, it's nice to see her as the ideal of like, Hey, you could be doing this if you weren't. Yeah. You're so self-involved except when you're on stage that like, yeah, yeah I love it. Yeah. And I, I like the sort of craftsman sort of vibe to it. I also like, she's basically like, I will throw you a bone literally. Uh, just once in a while yeah. for being as good as you are right now. Yeah, I love that. Everything everything yeah. about her character is very good. Um, yeah. So as the selfish stuff starts happening, there's the, um, the first thing that has real consequences is 
his girlfriend's mentor, her law professor, yeah. who's just a little too creepy and clingy. He's a little creepy. Little, little, yeah. um, I wish that there... We had to hate him. Sure, we had to hate him. Yeah. Uh, and for for sort of like the uh, the Twilight Zone-ish, oh my God, without him, she never had a career. But it's a good hook. It's a, but- it's a good hook, but it's it's like the kid who, it's like the guy who ran a bus into a kid. It's like, what? It's a little on the it's nose, like, yeah. yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. well, this guy is so obviously skeevy and like invading your space. Why does yeah. she put up with it? Um, right. What is, it feels like, yeah, it takes some of the power away from her character and that she's just a pawn to men. And maybe honestly, and maybe right? that's I mean, yeah. and maybe that's a statement that's being made, right? Is like sure, there's sure. there is not a way for someone like her to get out from um sort of the patriarchy. Yeah, yeah, to sort of get out from like sure, yeah. uh, letting this guy sort of do this. You know, it's it's just part of what she has to do. Yeah, and to be fair, her her agency uh returns for the end, and we get back to that, and she mm-hmm. arguably evokes the ending result. But I do I do like that they had to give us, they gave us something where it was like, this is the turning point where, yeah, we know what he did was wrong, but good on him for doing it. Right. Um, Because I think that a guy who ran a bus into kids was just a little like- It was easy. It was an easy Yeah, the way way it was, uh, the way it it went off, I was just a little like not connected to that as much. Well, and again, and it's one of those things where, again, the writing of it just, even though I understand that his act on stage is kind of this like, I'm just saying names now and you're laughing. Like I did want to be brought into the belief that the guy who killed a kid across the street from the fucking comedy club is actually funny enough where people are like, we're going to like kind of look past that. He wasn't funny at all. He was just a dick. Yeah, and I think that's one- There was no funny, like he was just- belching into the mic and blowing. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no like, I buy that. I don't buy it. I wish I had gotten some, some idea of how famous that guy was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. because we know like right now, if you want to do something that really uh, resonates with people, this comic that's so huge and famous that he brings people into this hole in the wall club night after night because he's on the Tonight Show, because he has like a, yeah. a number one selling, like a, a billboard charting comedy album, because like right. all of these things, maybe he does movies when he's not doing stand-up. Yeah. You know, that guy, right? That um, that big time comedian could make me believe that story a little bit more than guy right. who's performing in the same club as Samir night after night, and we have no sense of who he is. Yeah, and his only jokes we get to see are him basically sort of just, he's like an insult comic, but not even in a way that's funny. Yeah, I think we're supposed to believe that he's sort of, I mean, he's not like a Louis C.K. or something like that, but it's, that's sort of the the allegory that I would have liked to have seen is like, this guy is so Uh, famous, he could jerk off to a table full of people and we still have to invite him back to the improv. He's back. The Louis C.K. thing, that is an interesting one. It would have been fascinating. I mean, obviously way the fuck on the nose, but having someone like a Louis C.K. disappear and suddenly there's new women comics working (laughs) in the club you've never met before. Like, oh, Weird. Weird. Keeping those people down. So funny. Huh, funny how that works. But you know, yeah. you hear about things like this all the time or like uh, big stars who are abusive to people or, or whatever. Yeah. Like I would have like, it didn't, uh, it doesn't need to be an exact Louis CK, but I wanted to see something. Yeah. You wanted to see that, that there's like an inertia to it, a gravity to this character. People come that- into the club to see that guy. And so you have to bite your tongue because if they come yeah. in to see that guy, they're going to stick around for you. And he brings in the money. Yeah. 
I wish yeah. we had had something that explained that something. to me. Something. Anchor, an anchor point. Yeah. Uh, I want to yeah. give a shout out at this point in the story to uh, to the sort of brilliant uh, cinematography by Great. Owen Harrison. I don't see who the DP on this was, but um, he brings in a lot of like classic Twilight Zone scenes and he or, or kind of camera motions. He gives the story in a lot of places a lot of air that it needs to yeah. be a little creepier. There's one yep. particular shot that I really love kind of towards this section of the episode where it's an overhead shot that does like a long, like kind of tracking motion over all the tables to the stage. The tables, it's a great, yeah. And it really gives you a sense of the scope of the club. Yeah. And it makes it feel... Again, like a Twilight Zone comedy club. Yeah, and you know, you can almost hear like a Hitchcockian sort of like the the psycho strings, right? That um there are you know what it's funny talking about Ken Levine, there's almost a Bioshockian vibe to this. It feels yeah, almost underwater. Like a deco club, feel, right? Like a deco club, yeah. So that's interesting. It's very, yeah, yeah, it's very cool. There's some of the stuff, uh, like some of the shots are I thought there was like that 360 degree panning shot of Samir yeah. in his it, Samir. in his apartment where like lights are kind of flashing in and out where I was like, this is a little, yeah. but maybe I like it because we are entering the supernatural portion of our evening. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. It's a dizzying and stylish. But I, I really love a lot of the choices that are being made here. Uh, and so then like the, the law professor is made to disappear. And this is where we see that now you're doing things that are going to affect not just you, but real yeah. people in the real world, you've butterfly you've stepped on a butterfly. Yeah, you stepped on a butterfly. Uh-oh. We call it kutchering. You've kutchered this. Kutchering. You've kutchered it. You kutchered the hell out of um, it. So his, his girlfriend is no longer a lawyer. Uh, she works in a diner, and yep. uh, which is also an interesting thing because it's like really just because of that one mentor, she- That she, one guy. Because yeah. let me tell you something. Lawyers work. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I lawyers really work. Lawyers, yeah. I don't know a lot of I don't know a lot of out of work lawyers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I think the better hook would have been to find out that he was keeping her back in some way and now she doesn't need Samir. Right? Yes. Like uh like something that elevates her character by his removal and so now Samir is secondary yeah. to her as opposed to being like, well, I can, I'm going to scrap and make it. And, yeah. Like I did uh, it, but it hurt me. Do I still want to keep doing it? How selfish am I? Right, That's precisely. that would have been like a great moment. I understand that like in the flow of the episode that kind of that kind of brings us up a little bit more into some more theoretical territory and we're down to our last 10 15 minutes. So yeah. that becomes a little complicated but like yes, I would have loved to have seen something where it's like you did it but it hurt you. Do yeah. you get it? You're hurting you now. <laughs> are you fi- are you figuring it out yet? Um Samir. Yeah, so and then we get to this thing where it's like hey there's a talent scout for a TV show here tonight. Yeah, some Saturday night live-ish yeah. thing. Somebody, yeah. somebody is going to become uh, a, a, a full-time player on a TV show. Who's it going to be? And it's down, of course, to Didi and Samir. Yep. And the one who works and the one who has a, devil, a deal with the devil. Yeah, and the the moment that I truly love because they do such a good job of making us like the character of Didi. I love when Samir basically says, just give it up for D.D. Scott because he knows what's going to happen. Yep, he knows. And you see him deciding on whether he wants to make it happen. Because yeah. D.D.'s played fair. She's always yeah. played fair. 
She's done the work. She's she's got him. Every she needles him, but she plays. And fair. she makes yeah, she makes fun of him. She needles him, but in that moment where it's like my girlfriend broke up with me, she's there. She understands. Right. Uh, I and so I like I like that they put that moment in where she's like, yeah, I, no, I get it. I fucking get it. Right, right, right. However, how yeah. So um, and then we get to the ending, which like, like like everybody said, they've sort of seen it coming, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but she sort of, uh, Rena kind of runs in with his notebook and yep. is like, this is a list of people you've wronged. It's not yeah, it's a, art. Yeah, it's a, it's a hit list. That's all that this is. And I love that moment. There are a lot, as, as much as like this, this episode is kind of, kind of floopy in terms of, of, of story points and plot points sometimes, yeah. there are three or four uh, real sentiments in this that get me. Oh yeah, because art is also kind of an act of vengeance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's spite. Sometimes you create out of spite. You hit a point. I think everybody hits a point in their careers where they where they realize like you run out of anger. Yeah, yeah, and you can't be subsisting. You on run that. out of anger, and you realize like it's all been anger, and you're like, what do I do if I'm not angry? Right. That's sort of a comedian's problem in some cases, right? Success, mm-hmm. real success. Um, it can fucking ruin you because you're like, I used to be this, like, you know, I used to talk about whatever low level problems I had. And now you can see it in any comedian who has to talk about like their car. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're wealthy living. And you're like, yeah, I don't really, you don't have a, you don't know what a fucking hamburger tastes like anymore. So. Yeah. It's, it, you, I had, somebody was asking me the other day or, or a few months back, they were trying to get into like YouTube stuff and they were trying to get into like, um, sort of the the vlogging thing, right? Oh, sure. And they were like, I don't know, I've been making these videos and and uh, I don't know, it's not, I don't know why it's not catching on. I don't know why it's not working. And it's somebody who's already very successful in another field. And I had to look at them and be like, rich people aren't interesting. <laughs> no, right. we, tr- trust me, in 2019, we're, we keep trying to make them interesting and it's not the day The day-to-day life of yeah. a rich person is not super interesting to me unless you- yeah manufacture a reason for it to be interesting, right? Right, yeah. Stop trying to make fetch. You look at like Will, like two people who are doing vlogging right now are Will Smith and Jack Black. Yeah. Will Smith is making what you would expect Will Smith to make. Once right, once right. a week, he makes these very polished, semi-inspirational movies about yeah. being the globe-trotting movie star Will Smith. Being Will Smith, And yeah. he's like, this is what it's like to work on set. This is what it's like to get started. Like he knows what people want from him. They want, yeah. they want Uncle Will to yeah. tell them about his struggles and how to persevere, yep. right? Like, and he doesn't even, he doesn't need it to be successful. Yeah. That's the other great thing. He's not like there trying to be like, I really want you to, he's just doing Jack it. Black is just fucking around in a very, re- like in a very real way. Yeah. And so that, and in a way that's weirdly uh, respectful of the others who have fucked around before. Yeah. Which is weird. I didn't expect like that. Like very, like he, you can tell he loves YouTube and he, he knows what yeah. to do. But like, there are a lot of people out there, especially these influencers, like we're talking about, who are just like their numbers go down and down and down, and they're just like, I yeah. need to manufacture a conflict, I need to manufacture an adventure, I need to manufacture this, yeah. and it's just like rich. There's no authenticity. Yeah, rich people aren't interesting. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> go yeah, be, I know it sucks. Go but- be rich, man. Like, I'm sorry you yeah. can't have this, but you literally right. have everything else. So everything go else. have so everything else. Leave this part alone. <laughs> You vultures. Uh, but so you do get to this point uh, where it's like, oh God, everything I've done has been has been in anger. 
Yeah. So what do I do without yep. anger? And he realizes that. Like he, you see the moment of realization on his face where he's like, I thought that taking out my anger on those who have wronged me was doing good for the world. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's his tactic initially. That's yeah. he, and a lot of people do believe that. They're like, here is a shithead who did things wrong. Yeah. And so I am going to make sure everybody knows that this shithead did things wrong. Yeah. Uh, Even the mentor, while a personal, he has a personal thing against him, you could also argue, well, he's, you know, I think he's creepy and he's not good for my, my girlfriend and he's, you know, whatever. There's still something there. It doesn't feel purely vengeance Right, based. because it does come yeah. back to Samir's insecurities and the fact that he is acting out of anger because you could, instead of having confrontational arguments with your girlfriend about this, you could be like, hey, I understand nothing's going on. Right. This just feels to me like a weird invasion of our personal space. And right. it makes me feel a little insecure. And I'm sorry yeah. about that, but you have to admit that some of the way that he acts kind of kind of fuels that. And it almost feels like yeah. he's poking at me. Well, and that's the thing. Samir is not super well in touch with his shit. Right. And that's the whole thing in the beginning, right? Like yeah, that's the whole thing in the beginning. As opposed to dealing with his like dealing with his feelings, which is I I believe in this episode there are two ways he could have taken Wheeler's advice. I yeah. think I don't think of Wheeler so much as a devil in this story as I think of him as like this supernatural thing that happens in the Twilight Zone, this force of destiny that gives you two choices, right? Yeah. There is a world in which Samir could have figured out that he could tell real stories. Yeah, he could take the advice earnestly. Yeah. As a, or he could take the cheap way of doing and it. And I believe that this is a story about somebody taking the cheap way of doing it. Well, it goes back to that Moulin Rouge thing you're talking about. You could actually sit for years and figure out how to really make this musical, or you could just kind of steal it and ar- yeah. create a thing of art. Which is not like- And he goes, he goes artifice. That's yeah, which is not, I'm not saying Moulin Rouge is garbage or anything like that. I don't want y'all to- <laughs> I heard it. I don't want y'all to think that. There it is. I'm just- Shit, I look, the 20 YouTube videos about I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, Moulin Rouge is uh, definitely- I literally, I literally said that I fucking couldn't get through Lord of the Rings and there were, I think, seven or eight YouTube I videos. I saw, I saw. Like it's- Just because I didn't read it. That's fucking it. I didn't yeah. read it. I don't hate Listen, it. Listen- I like the movies. I love the movies. There's my Tolkien confession. Movies are great. I like the movies. Look, dude. Except fuck the, fuck the Hobbit. Fuck the I Hobbit. remember being a kid going straight from Chronicles yeah. of Narnia, yeah. which, you know, C.S. Lewis is definitely- yep. If you want to look at C.S. Lewis versus J.R.R. Tolkien's style of writing. Oh my God. C.S. Lewis is just like, yo, here I am clearly and concisely explaining things with just enough beautiful language to evoke pictures yep. in your mind. And then we move and on. And then Tolkien is like, yo, I created a language. Read it. <laughs> Yeah, have it. Take I it. made 1,000 years of mythology and I'm putting them all into yeah. this paragraph. Yeah, here's a 70-page song about dishes. And it's not, you know, I remember being yeah. like eight years old and finishing the Chronicles of Narnia. My mom handing me like The Hobbit and I was like, this is okay. And then handing me The Two Towers or The Lord yeah. of the Rings. And I was like, yeah. oh no, what? what's yeah. happening? This is, this is heavy. I'm putting this down for a few years. I don't, yeah, it's yeah. funny, like- there are these things that are considered the touchstones or the canon, and yeah. like people get really weird if you're not into the touchstones and the canon, which is strange Respectful to me. Respectful of the canon, yeah. yeah. It's a, there's an academic thing to that, a geek thing, a 
gatekeeping. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that there were two ways that Samir could have done this. He chose the cheap way. And then when he realizes it, um, he decides that he's gonna fucking, he's gonna Dr. Strangelove this shit. He's gonna get on the bomb and ride it down down to the ground. Yeehaw. And I do love this because there is this thing (laughs) That's another theme of the Twilight Zone is redemption in the last moment only by destroying yourself in the process. Yes. Yeah. You're jumping on a grenade yeah. that you kind of threw. You threw a grenade. <laughs> like, yeah. You threw a grenade. You're like, oh, fuck. I got to jump on You threw a grenade and now you have to jump on sorry, the grenade. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, yeah. everybody. So sorry. <laughs> um, and so I do kind of love that. And I love that we end on this sort of like everybody's back and everybody's kind of like not necessarily happier. We don't know that they're happier. No, we don't know that that, but there's some rewinding, some revision. Yeah, and um, I love, how is Devin getting into this club? I don't know. That Who lets that, is he coming in through the pipes? Like, I understand doing? Devin kind of coming in with a performer, with a, like a performing comp, because yeah. that happens sometimes. Right, but with But her. like, when you come in with a kid like that, like the kid has to sit backstage, like can't be in the club, like- Know, You're just like, walking in with your yeah. aunt to a fucking 21 and up two drink minimum comedy club in the middle of the evening. It did. It did strain some credibility. Yeah. Uh, and I do. I, I wonder, because obviously the end final hook, the, the I guess if you want to do this sort of slight Shyamalan twist is that, of course, Wheeler is back and now he's talking to Dean. Yeah. Uh, if you have I any notes. I almost don't buy that. Yeah. Like I don't. I mean, we don't really see that there's a. 100% buy-in from her, but you almost get the sense that she's not the one who takes that choice. Yeah, you have to wonder, because I, you know, they are setting it up as like, you know, neener, 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 you know, like. <laughs> yeah, right. I would have liked, I, I would have liked, like in my dream, if I were writing this in my dream of this, would be that she is like, nah, I'm good, boo. <laughs> yeah. And then she fucks off. And it's like this moment of like, well, he missed this one, but he'll get the next Yeah, comedian. or even. He'll always be around. Or even yeah. J.C. Wheeler just saying, good set. You know what yeah, I mean? Set, right, like yeah. you did good. Yeah. You did yeah, it right. Like, do you want any notes? Nah. I have no power okay. over you. Yeah, right. I have no power over you. I kind of wanted no power. Yeah, because that's the thing is I do want, it feels like there was a lot of push and pull with this episode. This is obviously the first episode. It's the pilot episode. Um, yeah. There's a lot of push and pull about tone, about story, about what they want to say. And it almost feels like- they're plot, plot versus character. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's always a, a war. Of between those there things. are two or three different threads that are going on that I all like, and I wish one of them had just sort of become a little more dominant. Yeah. Uh, I, I am totally down for just a little more subtlety, subtext, and conflict in my Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah, I think we need that because if you're going to survive, if Twilight Zone is going to come back and survive in this current era of arguably uh, the golden age of television and a sophisticated um audience i mean i think at the end of the day um hopefully uh they're they're gonna want and require that to be a little more granular than um just a a straight up morality play is gonna be yeah week after week yeah and i think you know i i I definitely i haven't watched the second one the second one is already available the third one comes out uh next week i believe man cbs access is not a cheap thing for what you get no can i just say that that's they're asking a lot for not giving there's a lot going on right now to to look at what's going on there's a lot of uh you know dc just launched their app uh every network now like some of the more minor cable networks now the major ones haven't done this well hbo i guess has done it but uh a lot of these cable networks are doing like their own like a la carte app where it's like 
pay us $6 a month, $7 a month, whatever. This yeah. adds up, y'all. Oh boy, it does. This adds up. Jeez, I, yeah. You're already probably paying for like Netflix, Hulu, and maybe like two or three, plus cable if you have it, if, even if you haven't detangled. Yeah, I mean, even without uh, cable, that starts to add, I man. looked at, you know, we looked at everything that we had as like, digital subscriptions because that stuff adds up yeah. and you don't pay attention to it. And it's like $3 here, $4 there. And we were just like, we should probably see what these things are. <laughs> Do I know what this even is? Some, even this? apps now are like $3.99 a year instead of like a one-time payment. Like there's a lot of that stuff yeah. that adds up. Yeah, like I subscribe to Word now. I don't buy. Right, and so- And fuck, fuck you. Yeah, but it's a word damn. processor. Get off my, get off my dick. Jesus Christ. <laughs> get off my get dick. Off, hey, apps. Bill Gates. Get off my dick. Um- so yeah, this is like, it, what is CBS Access? Six bucks, seven bucks? Well, but that's still with commercials. I think you pay, is it 10.99 oh without God. commercials? That's a, that's yeah, a full yeah. Hulu and Hulu is like almost everything. Yeah, and Hulu is a ton and of here's shit what, and Netflix is a ton of CBS shit. CBS is basically, you're paying for Star Trek, Twilight Zone, yep. and if you're my mom, The Good Fight. The Good Fight, The Good yeah. Fight, that's it. And That is it. And like DC Universe- was Titans and now Doom Patrol, yeah. Doom which Patrol, like I yeah. nearly honestly I nearly brought up bringing uh, doing Doom Patrol, but I was like I know you said you've been you've been saying, but I was like, like I dude, it, but there's I don't want to make people. Uh, that's just one more thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah, if we did right. if we thing. did Doom Patrol, I would want to do it like after the season is totally done when people could sign up for the free month and just watch Doom Patrol because like or buy it from yeah, iTunes or because DC Universe yeah. even like it's Titans Doom Patrol. Um, there's I forget what, the, oh, Stargirl is coming. Oh, right, yeah, with a midriff bared for some reason. Yeah, but like, then they the big selling point is like all the DC comics every month, um, but I think it's on like a six-month delay, like the like the Marvel Unlimited. Oh, sure, like Marvel. And then like all the old series, like like I said, like I think I told you, I rewatched like a lot of Lois and Clark when I had my DC universe. Oh, all right, Like yeah. they give you all okay. that stuff, all the animated stuff, um, but it's kind of like, other than, and this is going to sound like I'm being such a shill, but other yeah. than like Disney, which literally has the entire library of everything Disney does, yeah, who going to release yeah. app for $7 a month that has enough for me to watch? Who yeah. release no, app? No. Who has it? Who has it? Who release, who release app? app that gives stuff that I want? Who rule app town? Who rule app town? And I, th you know, I think it's a, it's a hard ask right now for just a couple of series but it's also yeah. like they can't launch with like 10 original series. That's like a crazy amount of money. Cause at least the yeah. one thing that I will say about CBS all access is that star Trek and this twilight zone have the appropriate budget for a star Trek and a twilight zone. Yeah. They look real. Yeah. There's not, um, this isn't half. It's half not half. like a YouTube red series where it's like, <laughs> or it's like we spent all the money on a red camera and now like the yeah. sets are like plywood, you know, like they're really, <laughs> right. they're really fucking making a show. Um, yeah. But man, it's, a, you know, we're a Twilight Zone podcast now. We are. That's um, fine. And that's fine. And we're sorry. Like, yeah. I'll tell you this. I'm going out of town for like three weeks. So we've yeah. got a lot of time. You don't necessarily need to subscribe to CBS All Access now. We wouldn't do that to no, you. No, no. But, but, but we're going to come back later in the season when we yeah. can all watch a chunk of this at once, I think. We're going to have some stuff to talk yeah. about. Yeah. We should talk about some of the old, old stuff, too. We should go some Oh, old my stuff. gosh. The Twilight Zone. You know, you know, God, and did you see Us, by the way? The, speaking of Jordan I Peele, did see I, Us. Us, yeah. us is yeah, an yeah, unbelievable movie. 
Unbelievable movie. Um, Unbelievable. It's such, what a fucked up movie. It's, it's brilliant and it's fucked up and it's, it was such a strategically perfect move after Get Out. Oh, it is because it's nothing like it. It's not, it's not even trim and tight like Get Out is. And I don't say that as an insult. It's a messy, uh, unruly, untangled thing. And I, love he, I, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's fucked I up. walked out of us going, oh, I'm glad that this dude's on Twilight Zone. You know what I mean? I was like, that's yes. a good episode yeah, of the Twilight it was Zone. Definitely. It was a re- it's like one of the best episodes of the Twilight <laughs> Zone. That's why I bring it up. It really feels yeah. that way. You know, if Get Out is like a Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock presents, this is absolutely a Twilight. Well, and he also did a very smart thing of being like, if I make another movie that's exactly like Get Out in terms of, not just in terms of tone and in style, but also in terms of content and message, all of a sudden, it's like like Shyamalan. Shyamalan has to have a twist. You yep. have to. You can't watch a Shyamalan movie to. that doesn't have he a twist. Cannot. How? How does if he, he doesn't do have that? a yeah. twist? Then fuck you. That's a bad movie. Um, yeah. Even though, like, it's that's not necessarily true. So he was like, no, it's not necessarily true. The twist is that Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, went he's back. like, I don't want to be the guy who makes this movie where we all walk out of get like we all walked out of Get Out and it was like, oh my god, soci- sociology, like anthropo, like all yeah. of this, all of this cultural racism. stuff, racism, like all of these things that are happening, and it's like. He's like, I don't want to be the guy that has to make that movie every time. Again and again and again. And so he made yeah. like a very smart, like kind of a horror, the type of horror movie that I really love, which is a more surreal, more, yeah, more like, okay, here's what's up. Yep. Us has a lot of, a lot of the same sort of plot and logic style holes that maybe this episode of The Comedian had. It does. It absolutely does. Um, and I don't even know if I'm comfortable calling them holes, but there are, there's, they're gaps. not holes. There's definitely some like, they're yeah. vagaries, right? They're vagaries. Yeah. It's, it's, I am giving this story room to breathe in your imagination. It's a much more, yeah. if get out is an, a Jordan Peele's sort of American horror movie, us feels more like a very Italian or mid-century European horror movie. Yeah. The logic isn't. What it's matters. not the logic. It's the it's the symbolism. It's the it's the loose metaphor. It's the visual, yeah, it's the emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah, where the it's not where did these people get all these jumpsuits and scissors? It's the jumpsuits <laughs> and scissors are creepy as fucking hell. Yeah, and and it means something uh, uh, both emotionally and thematically. Yeah. So the shut the yeah. fuck up about these people running to Staples to get scissors because yeah. that didn't happen. It doesn't matter. It's fucking matter. creepy. It's fucked up and it's fucking yeah. creepy. Just go And with I it. think yeah. where, whereas like us had maybe, maybe it was money, maybe it was time, maybe it was fewer studio notes, maybe it was just a conscious decision. It was allowed to be a little more uh, self-indulgent and vague. Whereas yeah. I- f- Well, I, I, yeah, I, I can tell you- um, from, you know, having a book wanders is optioned by people who actually helped make these mm-hmm. movies. And uh, I can tell you that part of that freedom comes in the fact that you have people willing to defend um, that territory yeah. for these. Well, movies you look at us and saying like, no, it's supposed to be, we're not, we're, we're going to, sh- we're not taking the studio notes. Right. We're just going to kind of go with how this feels and how this needs to look and how, you know, Jordan Peele on that, on us as writer, director, producer, and he, he has it, he has it all locked yeah. the fuck up and there's no, masters changing that for him and it's really powerful exactly whereas like on the twilight zone it's like it's it's got to be a much more collaborative process because you have yeah 
you have CBS and they're like, this is what we think the Twilight yeah. Zone is. And then you have like years of testing and a fandom and all this stuff. It's like, what is yeah, the Twilight have, you Zone? You have Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone is itself What is the Twilight Zone, right? And they have to, yeah. they have to sort of obey that and kind of create that yeah. style guide. And so I think like it could, the comedian could have gotten more surreal and creepy and dreamlike. It could have gotten more, it could have gotten tightened and a little more Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, I think it needed a little more emotional logic in that gas, like um, less about the plot logic and more about the emotional character logic. Just the weird, like the frustration of the characters and the uncertainty of the characters, kind of going through this. Yeah, together. it was like like we said up top. It was a uh, it was a very interesting choice for first episode. Yeah, I'm curious to see you know where. Yeah, and we are curious to see what you think about it as well. Uh, you. You can watch it for you free. So you it's on that. YouTube. Watch it. It's uh, it's very. It's it is what we said it is, and more, and no more, and no yeah, more. Sorry, right. I said and more, we're but correct. it's and no more, and more, and no more. <laughs> uh, so check that out. Let us know what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter about that if you want. Twitter is fucking terrible, but we're there. I'm at a Carboni. I am at Chuck. You can also day. write to us at Grandmaster at Ragnatalk.com. Has nothing to do with do the it. Twilight Zone. No, who cares? It's the Twilight yeah, Zone. It's it's weird and spooky that that our email has nothing yeah. to do with the podcast. We're, we're, we're all trapped in this hell together, so right. right. Uh, and uh, like I said, I'm going out of town for about three weeks, so we yep. will let some Twilight Zone episodes uh, pile up, and we will see you like in like in May. Yeah, May. And then we're back. And then, and then we're, we're back, back baby. baby, until we have to go away again. Yeah. Don't you can't until chain July, us down. Have to go away again. You, yeah. can't, you can't chain, chain us. us down. You can't make us follow your rules, society. We're like the wind. We're like the Sirocco. All right, Chuck. I love you, buddy. I love you. Buddy. <laughs>